Welcome to Veteran Voices, a podcast dedicated to giving a voice to those that have served in our country's armed forces. On this series, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we sit down with a wide variety of veterans and veteran advocates to gain their insights, perspective, and experiences. We'll talk with many individuals about their challenging transition from active duty to the private sector and we'll discuss some of the most vital issues facing veterans today. Join us for this episode of Veteran Voices. All right, hey, good afternoon. Scott Luton with Veteran Voices. Great to have you on today's episode. So on today's show, we have the opportunity to talk with a veteran that not only has made a very successful transition uh, to the private sector, but he's also made a big splash from an entrepreneurial standpoint. So stay tuned as we learn a lot more. Uh, quick programming note before we get started here. You know, this program is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming. Um, find us and, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. All you got to do is search for Veteran Voices and it'll pop up and you can subscribe so you don't miss a single thing. All right. So with no further ado, I want to welcome in our featured distinguished uh, guest here today. I'm really excited about this. Grady Brain, Banking and Lending Technology Implementation Manager with Equifax. But equally as exciting, he's founder and partner at JDog Athens, which we'll learn more about. So, Grady, good afternoon. How you doing? Scott, I'm doing well. I really appreciate you having me. It's uh, I think this will be a lot of fun. I do too. You know, um, we I enjoyed collaborating with you earlier, uh, really over the past couple of years, uh, as we we're going in and talking supply chain with elementary students, and you've got such a a knack with kids and instructing and and kind of uh, coaching. So it was neat to see that side of you. And now we're going to learn a lot more about the, your military background, and then of course all of your business exploits, which we're really all excited about. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, definitely. Uh here to have a good time, so uh, let's do it. <laughs> okay. All right. All right, so let's get to know you a little bit personally first. So tell us, you know, Grady, uh, where did you grow up? And give us, you know, give us a story or two about your upbringing. I grew up not too far f uh, up the road here in Jackson County, just north of Athens. Um, that area has always been kind of my stomping ground, so to speak, from, you know, the, the teenage years to the early 20s, and uh, pretty much uh, left Athens to join the military you know, like 24 and um, did the military thing for a while, as you had mentioned, uh, six years active duty in the 82nd Airborne Division and uh, six years in the National Guard, uh, in the 20th Special Forces Group as a direct enabler for the ODAs, the team guys, the Green Berets. And so through those travels, um, really just able, was able to see, um, you know, it's kind of, it sounds like a cliche, but it really is true. You, you get to see a part of the world that maybe you just didn't think of. And, and I think that is especially true for, uh, my friends back home, you know, they, um, nothing wrong with that, but they certainly decided to stay home and stay in a little area and, and uh, has certainly have had their successes on their own, but it was neat to be um, a part of maybe making history, you know, uh, the, the, the overseas campaigns, Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, was a contractor um, in, uh, in Nigeria for the Department of State, um, contractor for the intelligence community um, for a little more than three and a half years in uh, various parts of the Middle East for um, some pretty incredible opportunities and program. All right, I, I got to dive into this stuff, man. You, you're sharing. I mean, this is this is this is exactly what I was looking forward to. This. So, for starters, let's back up because I want to go through your, uh, your military uh, roles in just a second, so we can really kind of unpack it a little bit more. But 
let's start. What made you join the military? So you grew up in the in the Athens area, um, the greater Athens area. You said Jackson County. But what made you join the military? Let's see. So I joined. All right, let's let's do some dates here. I joined uh, about April two thousand and three, and before that, um, you know, you had the uh, Iraq and Afghanistan initial kickoff campaign. Now, my cousin, um, uh, she married uh, an army guy, um, uh, Justin, and so he was welcomed in the family in open arms. And I think he did a, a campaign in Haiti, if I remember correctly, and just looked up to Justin. He was a great guy. He's from Oregon, so he really the the backwoods, if you will, of Oregon. Really, kind of. Um, uh, meshed well with the family, and, and so when the uh, Iraq and Afghanistan campaign kicked off, it was kind of a, a drive, uh, maybe a little bit of patriotism there. Like I didn't want him to be the only person in the family to to, to put their name on the dotted line. Uh, again, it sounds like a cliche, but it really is who I am. Like I wanted to raise my hand. So I was young enough. Uh, was at a point in my time I wasn't married at, at that moment of time, and said it's time to do something. So that was really my main motivator and driver to join was to, to go off and do my little part. Sounds like you've got a strong bias for action, which I'm sure as we talk more later in the interview about your uh, entrepreneurial venture, you got to have it, right? Just a little bit, but not much, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> All right. So I admire that. So you joined the Army in April 2003, right? Uh, so you spent six years on active duty, all with the 82nd Airborne. Is that right? That's right. Yep. Um, it was, uh, I was kind of fortunate to spend uh, my uh, active duty years in 82nd. It was uh, legend. And as we both know, a legendary unit. Um, so before we talk about your role there for those six years, what what is it about the 82nd Airborne that um, that just makes it the big, bad, uh, butt-kicking unit that, that's got um, such a, a legendary uh, reputation? So what, what is it? What's, what's, the, what's the mystique there? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's um, it, it, the 82nd Airborne Division, and so the patch, um, the unit patch is the AA All-American, and from a historical perspective, it literally was a conglomeration of All-Americans from all over the, the country, right? And so, forgive me, uh, hopefully uh, our brother and 82nd uh, members aren't going to uh, roast me for this. I don't know the exact founding time of, um, okay. of, uh, of the 82nd, but the point, the reason I even mentioned that is to say back if I remember correctly, it was kind of a contentious point of time in America, right? So, um, you know, when they started bringing together people from all backgrounds, socioeconomic groups, um, to represent the true essence of what America was, it was kind of a, a pillar or foundational point at that moment of time, and certainly has been continuing on into, into modern times. So, um, you know, you couple that with the idea that um, there's a little bit of cockiness, right? Uh, the the AR670-1 is the Army's uh, manual for how to wear the uniform. Um, even the 82nd guys, again, conventional army, um, would have a, a little bit of attitude in terms of how they represented their parade. So you could always tell a paratrooper, particularly from the 82nd, is just by the unspoken of how they wore the, their uniform or their beret. All that being said, that um, with their, America's quick reactionary force, um, we uh, were able to, to basically um, respond uh, depending on the uh, the uh, DRF um, level that we were on at the time for somewhere as little, I believe it's 16 hours. Uh, I think I have that correct. So the fact that we could answer America's calling anywhere in the world um, from the conventional forces at a battalion or even brigade level really made the 82nd uh, an invaluable asset for the Department of Defense and the Army. Absolutely. And I love, I'm going to dive more um, in the weeks ahead into the, I've never thought about the, his, the, the history from a, um, um, an integration standpoint, I think that's probably a fascinating chapter. But the other thing that you remind me of, and you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a supply chain nerd, but to be able to re react anywhere in the world, I think you said 16 hours. 
I think it is. Yes. Now wheels up 16 hours. I can't imagine the, the, the readiness, the logistics of the, the supply chain behind the 82nd airborne, especially after you land and in the days to come as you reinforce position and, and, and more of the supply chains brought to bear. So we'll save that for another episode. Um, all right. So within, uh, the first six years, you served 12, first six active, second six, I think you said with the Guard, right, National Guard? That's right. Yep. Okay. Went to the Special Forces Group yep, in, All uh, right. in Alabama. So with the 82nd Airborne, uh, what was your official MOS? So I don't know if I told you this, but I was a food service guy, so I was a cook. Yes, yep. Uh, so I spent six years, and that's the, actually the reason I love the 82nd was because um, – you know, no matter your, your background. And so the Marines kind of have their infantrymen first, you know, that's their mentality, right? That no matter your job, um, the 82nd kind of uh, had that same mentality in sense of um, you were, you had to, and you had to have from a tactical perspective, you had to have the ability to understand and to be able to, um, especially attach to an infantry battalion, which is, which is what I was. Um, you, you were ready for really anything. That they could do. So um, it was, it was a really cool opportunity. All right, so you cut out just a smidge there, and hey, it's no big deal. I, I bet you're getting uh, you're getting some business calls. <laughs> <laughs> right, apologize for that. Yes, sorry. All good, all good. All right, but really, that belabors the point even more because when when you know you send um, the eighty second airborne into theater, it, it it's got to roll with with food and supplies and and transportation and, and everything you need. So. Um, you know that's that was a that's a vital part, right? Uh, what's the Napoleon? Um, there's a famous Napoleon quote. I can't remember it, but basically, uh, you got to keep your army fed, and 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 you know uh, you don't get too far on empty stomachs. And I'm butchering the quote, but anyway. No, I get you. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about. Um, let's go ahead and talk about your your second six years and then I'm gonna circle back around with a couple of questions kind of about your entire career uh, in the army so uh, first first six actives 82nd Airborne next six tell us about uh, you, you mentioned Nigeria you mentioned some um, uh, some some other roles tell us more about those second six years yep so you're correct um, the second six years was uh, with 20th Special Forces Group so the, the, U, the US Army has um, um, it seems like it's around, um, what is it, five special forces, um, um, I guess, groups, if you will. And then there's two National Guard uh, special forces groups, so 19th group and 20th group. And so 20th group is headquartered in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, and so I um, was able to uh, find a, a fantastic opportunity. I first came in as a food service guy, um, squad leader, uh, and uh, uh, then went into more of a uh, intelligence supporting role for the ODAs from a, um, a um, Tactical Battlefield Questioning, uh, SSE, Sensitive Site Exploitation Opportunity. So really enjoyed that uh, second half of my career and just began to, from the schooling point of view, and just really, as you've said a, a few moments ago, understanding kind of the logistics chain associated with the various positions and responsibilities, and sometimes you're thinking outside of your role. Uh, it introduced me to so many opportunities that you maybe wouldn't find in the conventional army. Scott, I loved every minute of it. That was really my, uh, my calling there. Can you point to one thing? that was so gratifying about that role? Scott, without a doubt, it is you get a disproportionate, uh, a significant um, plethora of opportunity to make a gigantic um, impact. So you're giving um, a, if you will, the, 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 the responsibility and the choices you have to make 
with maybe the limited information has a multiplying effect in terms of the outcome. Uh, I just love the fact that they, from again, it, it, there's a lot of correlations in the special operations community to entrepreneurialism and the entrepreneurial mentality was that you got to think multiple steps ahead of, of maybe where you are towards your desired outcome and how to get there using the tools that you currently have available. And that's just really, I've always kind of had the bug, the entrepreneurial bug, but that's where it really began to take off. I love how that you made that connection. Um, I haven't really thought, you know, having to improvise, which is one of the things I'm, I'm hearing a lot of what you speak to, getting creative about solving problems based on what, you, what you're what you facing. While once you solve those problems, the ability to make a huge impact. I mean, uh, there's a lot of parallels there. Um, all right, so let's, so looking back at those 12 years, both active and uh, in, in the guard, you know, what's one or two accomplishments that you look, that come to mind that, that you know, you're most proud of, you might have shared with your family, you know, what, what are those couple of things that really come to mind? So I think it would probably have to be, um, uh, again, so uh, in um, total experience as, a, as uh, in the Department of Defense, uh, wearing the uniform as a contractor, over a 12-year period, I had about... Um, uh, 75 months uh, away from the family. And it was just, it was gratifying to know that each trip that I came back and I was very thankful um, that um, I was able to, you know, make an impact in my mind, you know, the, the operations we were able to be a part of. Um, so I don't know if it was one particular moment as much as it's just massively, um, I guess, gratifying knowing that I was able to come back and the positive we did and, and through some of the skirmishes and the fights and, and what have you, uh, even through all that, um, just overly thankful, Scott, you know, that, um, could be a part of shaping history and, and, and I'm sure it'll be written about, um, you know, 40, 50, 60, hundred years from now, whatever. Um, so I don't know that again, there's any one moment, but, um, um, with that gratitude, you know, that gratitude certainly comes the, um, the respect of people who've, who were, who played the ultimate price of brothers and sisters that we knew. So, um, but yeah, it's, um, I guess that would be it in a nutshell. All right. So let's talk more about, um, some of the folks, that you served with when you think back and, and, and I bet there was no, if your if your career and, and yours was a lot longer than mine, you know, there was no shortage of folks that I, I miss that, that they're with us and a couple of folks that aren't with us that I, that I miss dearly rubbing elbows with day in and day out that just had a huge impact, not just on my career, but in general as, as a, as you know, a young man growing up. So, what are some folks, tell us about some folks that you served with, either side by side or maybe some leaders that you, that you serve for that really stick out and, and you miss here today? I, I, I guess uh, one guy in particular, uh, he's, he's still with us, um, had a gigantic impact on my career. Uh, his name is Zeke Vanderpool. Um, we call him Zeke. That's not his, his real first name. Uh, he was my team sergeant when I was with 20th Special Forces Group. Um, Zeke was able to, he was the guy that I really looked up to in the sense of um, he was, he knew when to be stern, he knew when to give you that rope, and he knew when to let you take that rope, and then, you know, your feet come up from under you because you took that rope too far. And that was the, in my opinion, the epitome of a leader. Like, he was the guy that knew that, okay, this is a good time for Grady to learn, you know, the, the collateral damage or the collateral kind of um, fallout, so to speak, is not going to be overly significant enough to where he can pick up the pieces enough to where he can sit there and look around and realize that, oh, okay, maybe I took this too far, or this is what I can learn from it, or what have you. Uh, I'm that guy that has to kind of um, understand what the parameters are, the left and right limits, and, and maybe bounce uh, bounce off them to know that this is how I move forward. And Zeke was that guy. And um, I still, his his um, his passion today is, is helping um, 
uh, really rid uh, the veteran suicide and the stigma associated with reaching out to the mental health professionals um, to, um, you know, to, to say, guys and gals, it's okay to reach out. So, yeah, Zeke is, Zeke is that guy that I certainly still look up to to this day. He's, he's an awesome guy. Say, Zeke Vanderpool, is that right? Yes, yes, Vanderpool. Yeah, great guy out of the Tennessee area. Just I drop everything in my life right now if he called and, and go up there and help him out. Outstanding. Who else comes to mind, uh, Grady? You know, another guy um, that uh, was impacted significantly by, by the war, um, uh, out of respect for his position in the special operations community, I'll just use his first name, uh, James. Uh, James is um, uh, a dear brother. Um, he was one of those guys that um, was was kind of the same way. He uh, volunteered multiple times um, for deployments, um, and um, just that guy that as, as a medic, as an 18 Delta, um, knew so many things. He was a, I think he was a battalion chief, if I remember correctly. Uh, volunteered for the National Guard. I think at the late 30s, early 40s, went through the the Q course and the special up or the uh, special forces, the Green Beret pipeline, and um, he, uh, you know, he, he obviously made it and uh, earned his Green Beret. Uh, but he never let kind of his position with the, with the uh, with the ODAs, the teams. Um, he never he never let it um, kind of drive who he was. And so he he when he realized that there was lives like myself that was not afraid to go out there and work and, and push and, and earn their kind of spot in the support role, um, you know, he began to really welcome you in. And so James did that for me. And he um, was in uh, Afghanistan, uh, you know, several years ago, um, working uh, some, some very um, sensitive locations and, and missions and, and stepped on a pressure plate and it took, took his, um, it was his right leg. And so I went to Walter Reed uh, to visit him. And, um, you know, that was a, foundationally shaping and, and, and like structurally takes your morals and ethics and, and shakes them to the core to, to make you rethink what is important. And so seeing James up there and our other our fellow brothers and sisters of uniform or in their uniform and now veterans go through the, the trials and tribulations was just eye opening. So James is, is definitely another one of those guys that they really from a leader and then friendship. When you met with James and I'm assuming he, he, uh, he is finished his service, and then you don't have to share, but w w was there a singular message that you wanted to share with him based on you know, the impact he had on you? Oh, gosh, uh, that, uh, that that I would, I'll still to this day, to the end of my life, one of my last breath, last breath uh, I'll always be there for him, um, and, and without a doubt, I, it, he's this, I think he feels the same way. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's had a, a huge impact on my, um, honestly, where I think success is, his mentality of just not, never quitting. Even when he was in Walter Reed, just a few months post, uh, you know, post blast, so to speak, he um, he didn't have that defeated mentality. He didn't have that mentality of what the heck am I going to do now? It was like I, I'm not the whole person I am anymore. It was well, these are the cards I'm dealt, and this is how I move forward. So he's up for the next challenge. It sounds like he still is, and and, and he just he doesn't quit. And so I think that's part of the special operations, and really that's as an American, that's kind of the cloth he's cut from, and, and uh, just knowing that that. Yeah, letting James know that I'm always there, and I think without a doubt he would probably feel the same way. And so that's the strong brotherhood that that you just um, it's pretty rare to to get these days. And so I'm forever thankful for it. Uh, we're going to talk about your transition in a minute because I'd love to pick your brain there and get you to share some of your experiences. Uh, but you you mentioned a real serious um, issue that's that's unfortunately been an issue for far too long, and we're still trying to get up get wrap our head around it and figure out why and do something about it. And that's of course uh, veteran suicide. And, and for that matter, uh, it, it, it's, it's 
permeated into the active ranks, which I know you and I probably both have had our finger on the pulse about. Yeah, I don't want to put you on the spot, but what's, why do you, I mean, so let me, I'll share, maybe, maybe it'll help me ask this question. Uh, you know, a lot of what I've experienced and what I've seen is especially, and it's gotten a little bit better, but as veterans have been underemployed and, 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 and not nearly as gainfully employed, that, that really, um, did not help with the transition and certainly didn't help to feel like, like what you, you described earlier in your career where you're, you're making such an impact and, and, um, you're, you're, uh, sharing all of your, your knowledge and your skill sets. And, you know, and, and when you're not being utilized, especially to, to the tune or to the degree that you are in, in active duty in your leadership role, you know, it, it can create uh, a depression. And, you know, I think that's one of the things I've observed, especially as I've seen a lot of, of my fellow veterans really struggle with their transition and it, and it persists. And so while we've made, get, we've made some strides from uh, more and more companies get it and they've, they've seemingly gotten better at their outreach and, and recruiting and hiring and, and good um, gainfully employed roles. That's just part of the equation. What, what do you think that, that we're missing out there that we, that is preventing us from, from really, effectively addressing this this sad problem i i'm i'm probably in the same boat as you that um i've read some 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 data um tried to read a little bit of literature but by no means do i pretend to have a conclusive understanding of the problem but i, I think that fundamentally it's the idea of, of belonging right um i think that you find commonality of um maybe transition or difficulty of transition from groups that require a strong bond whether it's you know in the in the ranks of uh, the law enforcement community or firefighters or, or really um, um, other public sector roles to where you have to be a cohesive unit, no matter your background, no matter your, your differences to accomplish a mission, right? And I think that when you begin to not necessarily know and, and, and be, maybe be prepared for your transition, you don't maybe think that, okay, that's not going to be there when I transition. So it's maybe it's a little bit of the regearing initially to say that when I transition, yes, my brothers and sisters will always be there, um, but maybe the civilian world is a little different. So maybe it's the the first step is understanding that uh, there's a little bit of a retooling there, you know, an expectation. But also, I think you touched on it. It's the uh, it's the it's the labor perspective. Um, how do you translate? Um, I'm being a bit tongue in cheek on this next next part. Um, as an 11 Bravo and infantryman that you go out and, um, you know, face the enemy, right? So how do you put that on a resume? And so it's it's really working with the, the nonprofits out there. And there's been some great national organizations, um, you know, um, uh, Equifax, we're trying to uh, uh, stand up a um, Equifax business resource group there for veterans. So it's it's really just plugging into holistically across the board, nonprofits, uh, organizations that are trying to understand, you know, the veteran unemployment aspect of it to say that if you see an infantryman or a woman that says, uh, okay, this is what I've done and this is what my experiences are, that um, maybe you can kind of help them as a, as a hiring manager say, okay, well, if they're trying to say this, what are they trying to say or are they are they are they really getting the message across, right? And so that I think the hiring managers 
and maybe a bit of a going out of a limb here, can certainly work with other nonprofits as well to make sure that if they're speaking a language, maybe there's a little more commonality there than what they thought initially. So from the hiring point of view, there's maybe a little bit of work that we need to do there. And really, I guess maybe a third piece is the veteran to just to know that things are going to be different, right? Um, and that's okay. Different is great. They were different when we left the civilian world and, and joined the military. They were different when maybe what our friends have seen and where friends were living while we were in the military. And they're going to be different after we leave the military post-uniform. So maybe just a few thoughts there that um, I think I've seen and maybe experienced myself that that, um, that have, uh, have been identified and, you know, I try to relate to. Well put. And going back to what you shared uh, that uh, Zeke was um, was working on, which is, uh, you know, it, it sounds like uh, is really in, uh, encouraging veterans to embrace the fact that things may not be okay and it's okay to share that. So you, you can get the help and assistance and the mentoring or whatever it is um, that you need uh, so that, you know, hopefully you don't choose some of the choices that are being made. So uh, kudos. Uh, and I, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of walk through those three things um, and sharing that with folks that, that may either be new or maybe they just, they're like so many folks, they don't know why it's taking place. So your perspective is very helpful and big kudos to Zeke for you know, doing something about it uh, in his uh, post army career. All right. So let's talk about transition. We both already have touched on that. I'd love to know more. You know, tell tell me about. So so now you're you're with Equifax, well known. Everybody knows Equifax. You've got a, a great role there. I'd love to learn more about that. But let's talk about your transition. How, tell us tell us a little bit of that story. So um, left the, the National Guard, um, and right before I left the National Guard, I realized um, you know it's time to go back to uh, the formal education route and, and really finish up the education. So. Um, and, you know, maybe that's another interesting part, just because you've tried. I tr it took me three times to get my um, my bachelor's. And so when I finally did, I, I didn't I didn't let off the accelerator. Um, so I got my um, undergrad um, bachelor's of science from Norwich University. It's the oldest private military college in the country. While you were in the uh, National, National Guard? Guard. Okay, yep. Yep. gotcha. And so um, took about a two to three month break and did my first master's program um, uh, in master's of arts diplomacy and international trade and commerce from Norwich. And then rolled up, um, literally, <laughs> I was graduating from my um, Master's of Arts at Norwich and got my acceptance call into my MBA program. So uh, literally no break in between. Uh, did my, um, my um, uh, executive MBA at, at Cornell. Really enjoyed that opportunity. Ivy League. Well, you know, it's uh, not Grady. too bad from a, from a country guy here in, uh, in uh, just north of Athens. So Nice. Uh, I, I enjoyed a tremendous opportunity, and that's one thing is a bit of a, an aside here that I think the veterans, um, particularly the enlisted, but certainly the, uh, the officer ranks as well, the Ivies are, are really want to talk to the veteran community. People have gotten this mentality, and, and I understand that the Ivies, there's no way that I could be competitive in the Ivy ranks. You know, it's, it's the crom de la crom of, of, it, of um, you know, the, the personnel and the people who are trying to get in. And, and I guess there's probably a lot of truth to that, but the reality is um, the Ivies and, and maybe really all um, public education, you know, uh, groups, you know, public and private, really want to talk to the veteran community, right? Um, there's great opportunities to the VA um, for the post-911 GI Bill. Um, and so I guess it went off on a bit of a rip there. But, you know, from, a, from that perspective, veterans should really, veterans should really be looking for those because um, there's opportunities for formal education because they're there and, and people want to help. So, um, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, uh, I think I uh, went off on a exit ramp there. No, you didn't. Uh, <laughs> so the first thing you established 
is uh, is uh, how you were able to earn and build this educational pedigree, especially, I mean, undergrad, master's, and then the executive MBA at an Ivy League institution. So that's, you, you obviously felt that was a really important component of your transition, correct? It was. And so um, I, I finished the, um, the, uh, the executive MBA and um, was working for, for Google at the time um, here at the Atlanta office. Really enjoyed that opportunity. And then, um, well, hang on, let me ask you about that. Because how, how did you, was Google your first official job post-military service? So I think you could say that. I think that's probably a fair assessment. Uh, I was a contractor, as I'd mentioned a, a bit ago, in the intelligence community in, in, uh, in Nigeria for the Department of State. So while that was private sector, my first regular job, I guess, would probably be the Google role. Okay. Kind of untied, untethered to your, your military so, credentials yes. was a Google. Exactly. Okay. All right. Well, we'll um, okay. We're going to circle back to, to your, your contractor roles. Um, all right. So Google, how, how did you make that connection? Because uh, I think a lot of folks can benefit from from how, how you found your way into working for a company that's on the tip of everybody's tongue. Scott, just, I guess, a little bit of um, um, stubbornness, just never gave up, you know. I mean, and I know that, again, Lynn, it sounds like a cliche, but um, I'm, I've always been that guy that uh, is up for a challenge. Um, a little bit of the underdog growing up, and, and I just never, never gave up. Mom and Dad always told me that, um, you know, again, it sounds like a cliche, you can do what you want, but the reality is it's absolutely true. And I think I'm kind of living that now. So just um, just networking. I, I networked with the veteran groups. Um, I used LinkedIn. You know, I went to LinkedIn and found those uh, those hiring managers, and oftentimes, sometimes they wouldn't write back. Um, sometimes they would write back and say that uh, I'll keep your resume, and sometimes they would write back and engage. I tried to look for other veterans who were maybe in that role, hiring manager, and just kind of pick their brain, and sometimes they were busy, sometimes they weren't. Sometimes they said, let me let you talk to my friend XYZ, and so introduction was made, and just over time, uh, I kept that role, and or, I mean, I kept that approach and, and found the role eventually at Google. I think one of the challenges a lot of a lot of veterans, at least I, I've experienced and, and heard, heard about, is that as they leave the military service, you know, many of them don't have a business network. They may not even have a, a LinkedIn account, you know, much less you know, thousands of connections. Um, and, and in some cases, I've heard where um, even in the last year of service with folks that are retiring, their commanding officer has not allowed them to get out and network and, and you know, spend some of their time with the industry associations or whatever it is. Um, how um, can you talk to, speak to how important it is when you don't have that network uh, already, whether digital or just the Rolodex, um, you know, how important is networking in that, um, you know, when, you, when, when, you, when you've got that gap, how important is networking? Speak to that a bit. So uh, I was that guy. I didn't have um, the network, a little bit of foolishness on my behalf. And I think that the um, Department of Army and really Department of Defense, when I transitioned from active duty in 2009, um, was beginning to understand that, okay, we need to give guys and gals time to, to, to transition. And more particular, um, we need to help them understand what the transition is. So I, I really didn't have a, a network. I didn't have a defined group. And so um, I, I went to LinkedIn, uh, made thousand mistakes and, and just kept going a thousand and one times. And so that really, honestly, stubbornness, you know, is, is my, uh, my key there. And so I, I worked to uh, plug into some local, um, you know, veteran organizations in the Atlanta area of Atlanta, Bunker Labs, uh, Four Block. 
and uh, just through sheer tenacity and focus and networking was able to find um, find the groups and find people that said you need to talk to this person and so that person introduced me to here I saw this person three networking events later they introduced me to this person this person said I really need you to talk to the vice president of this company this person had a veteran friend or family and, and, and literally the network grew from there so that would be one thing that I would absolutely unequivocally say that the veteran community must go further than they think from the networking perspective of what they think is good enough. And it just never hurts to have that positive representation on LinkedIn, you know, understand your, your, your 10, uh, what is it? 10 second elevator pitch. Um, because look, once you, once the veteran or anybody begins to figure out and know that where their place is and then they're rocking along or they're busy, um, they certainly probably want to help other people themselves as well, but they're probably going to be busy. So the person that's approaching them, is probably going to make sure that they're on point. So it's kind of that, um, you know, uh, put yourself in their shoes to understand maybe why folks um, are looking for that quick, uh, you know, that why that, that 10 second elevator pitch is important. And uh, when, when you really begin to kind of think in that direction, you begin to contextualize and know that, um, okay, these are the steps that need to be taken. So that network is gigantically important. Best thing and, and probably the only thing that I could recommend that they must do going forward. Well, and follow up. What, what I'm hearing you talk about, and, and of course, I've known you before tonight in our, our interview here, and, and I, I got, I've got a, um, one of the things I've, I've observed is that, you know, you, you follow up. Uh, and, and when you're getting um, all these connections and, and, and these offers of connections and uh, these, these, these opportunities, maybe they're vetted, maybe they're not vetted, uh, what I'm hearing you say is, is you're, you're, you're going to take that shot. And it may not go anywhere. You may not hear back, but you know you're gonna you're gonna take all of these um, uh, uh, these openings, and you're gonna put an iron in the fire. Uh, and that's a ton of work, but that sounds like it's critical to your your transition. I think that's right. It uh, it is a ton of work, right? Um, you know, most days, and I I kind of heard this before. Again, uh, oftentimes I, I say this once, and I'll say it a thousand times tonight. It sounds like a cliche, but the reality is, is it works. The whole adage of you know start early in the morning and, and finish late at night. That's literally my day. I'll start, you know, wake up early. Uh, well, to me, it's early uh, six, seven o'clock in the morning, and go to you know eleven thirty, twelve, twelve thirty at night. And so I'm one of those guys that really has to get my at least six hours of sleep uh, to function well. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just that grinding it down, that uh, pushing it forward, and and um, you know, but I'm respectful. Obviously, there's that fine line, right? Being respectful, um, but. I'll follow up with them. I'll make sure that they understand that um, I'm respectful of their time. And I think once, again, like I was talking a bit ago, when people realize that you're going to be respectful of the ask that you're going to make, that you're just not going to sit there and say, oh, well, you know, this isn't for me, that you've done your homework to at least know what you're getting into, people are willing to help you. All right. So last question about your transition, and then we'll talk about what you're up to now. Um, did you, was your transition uh, easier or harder than you had anticipated? Um, you know, let's say a year or so out. Thousand percent harder. I mean, I, I when I transitioned off to active duty, I didn't. I had uh, maybe a couple of years of uh, formal education from uh, from um, undergrad uh, Valdosta State University there in Valdosta, Georgia, and um, and made the determination at that point in time. I don't, I don't need formal education to get where I want to get. And, and there's people that have just been massively successful in, in whatever frame or context of that word that means to that person. Um, but I also realized that it was now a challenge. You know, I, family, uh, my first daughter at that moment of time, my wife and I, um, and, and I began to realize that, you know what, um, 
there's more things that I want to show my family, you know, uh, particularly my children, right? So um, their dad persevered, their dad pushed through, got their undergrad and a little bit of education along the way. Uh, through thick and thin, um, you know, I started the, the business um, that we were just talking about, uh, J-Dog Drug Removal in Holland of Athens, uh, you know, and uh, plugged into a few more uh, startups in the area, in the Atlanta area. So uh, a lot of poker's in the fire, but you're right, you've got to have that tenacity, and I think that's been the, the kind of payoff for me. So now let, let's talk about Equifax and what you do there uh, in your proverbial nine to five. That that's that that cliche is deader than a door now these days, it seems. And then I want to talk about what I'm really excited about as a fellow entrepreneur, um, what you're doing with J Dog Athens. So first off, with Equifax and goodness gracious, a banking and and lending technology implementation manager. That's that is like five levels above my pay grade. I can't imagine what you what you need to know to implement, you know, tech projects. So t tell us more about what you, what you do in that role. Sure. So um, you know uh, the uh, the incident, uh, the breach that happened in 2017 is certainly um, um, not lost on people who have been impacted. Right? It was like 145, I think, plus million individuals. Um, since then, we've got a, a fantastic leadership team from literally the top down. Uh, Mark DeGore, the new CEO, Bryson Kaler, the chief technology officer, um, Izzy O'Nelson, the SVP of uh, banking and lending and enablement, uh, Chris Kramer. Uh, all of these individuals um, have been re or, uh, either new in the roles or just massively doubled down and dedicated to uh, riding the ship, so to speak. And so it's been a uh, phenomenal um change that's happened and to be a part of that change has been interesting right it's been a very rewarding experience tons and tons of work um, you know um, uh, the, the, the transformation to the to the cloud has, has been the biggest push um, and it's been really interesting rewarding to be a part of that change and so um, letting our customers know that uh, fundamentally you know it's customer first it's ensuring that um, we've uh, re, re, uh, rewrited the ship so to speak and um, short up the um, um, uh, the structure and then you continue selling and moving forward for our clients that currently count on us and really the, 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 the consumers. So, um, you know, it, it's been, uh, been interesting as far as what I necessarily do. It's, um, uh, we have our banking and lending customers. So anybody that does banking, um, we, they come in and, uh, look for the various products, um, uh, from risk decisioning to, um, really understanding their customers better, um, and uh, how to better offer a better product to the customer, right? So uh, it's been it's been a rewarding um, experience there, and and um, never the the same thing every single day. That is, um, <laughs> that's, that's the compl compl Well, you know, there's so much technology being implemented across global business these days. You know, certainly in supply chain, which is is my background, and those projects certainly are not. Um, easy. They're all, most of them are complicated, and, there, and there's there's plenty of uh, cyber concerns and 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 some rules and regulations, including some that 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 are right around the corner. But in that industry, in, in the banking and lending and, and the financial industry, I can only imagine, um, you know, how long the checklist has got to be, and and all of the rules and regulations, uh, given the nature of the sector. So, uh, good stuff there. All right. So now let's talk about my favorite part. And uh, let's let's so J Dog Athens. Give me the full name again that folks will, will recognize. Yeah. So J Dog Junk Removal and Hulling um, is uh, is the franchise system we brought into. We brought the Athens area. All right. So Athens, Georgia, home of the Bulldogs, uh, and home of surprisingly uh, the business community and and even the industrial community in the greater Athens area might surprise a lot of folks. Um, all right. So. 
how, uh, so it sounds like from earlier in your story, you got kind of the entrepreneurial bug while you were still in service. So how did you come across this one and what said, you know what, this is the one? Gosh, so uh, when I was in the intelligence community, um, I, I really enjoyed my opportunity there. So this was in, uh, I think I joined in, in uh, uh, August of 2012, um, and um, really enjoyed the opportunity there. It was a, it was a you know, global travel, um, but every time I left, I was leaving my wife, and we had our fourth kid uh, at the time, and, and it just became to get harder and harder, Scott. It, it um, you know, that uh, the, the kind of running joke was, um, uh, the dragon she'll bite you and if she bites you one too many times then, then you're done right because you, you truly exotic travel you get to do some amazing things um, but I was looking for my exit and so I first found J-Dog Brands around late 2015 if I remember correctly and I followed them for three years um, Jerry and Tracy Flanagan were the proprietors of the brand um, Jerry's story is incredible uh, literally a lot of parallels between you know my background and his background in that respect in terms of entrepreneurial uh, approach and so um, 2019 came along and we just it was literally just kind of the perfect the perfect storm if you will um, from the funding perspective from a uh, right point of time uh, my father and I are in business together we've just actually recently hired a third uh, uh, brought on a third business partner uh, and so I we took the leap in um, March of 2019 went to um, uh, just north of Philadelphia signed the paperwork and, and haven't looked back since. So you're, you're poised for this next big growth phase, which I'm really excited for you. And, and of course, I've been tracking you on, on social media and kind of seeing you continue to grow, which is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just a big old high five or digital hug because I love it. Um, but just I'm, I want to paint a picture for folks. Um, you know, I, again, I've had the good fortune of getting to know you a little bit before the pandemic times and, and kind of seeing your approach and, and kind of who you are, your core values. But you've got a big, heavy-hitting job with Equifax that keeps you really busy. You've got how many children at home? Oh, we have four. Four kids. Holy cow. I've got three. And I think I, when we first so met. Know. Yes. And, <laughs> and I can't even complain because you've got one more than, than I do. And then you've got a, a thriving entrepreneurial venture, which, of course, is, is another countless number of hours each week. I mean, Grady – you know, you got a, a couple of clones walking around. I mean, I mean, it's amazing, you know, just all that you, um, all that you're leading and, and, and contributing and giving parts of yourself to on any given day. I mean, how do you get all that done? So, you know, Scott, I mentioned, um, uh, what was it? Uh, a few minutes ago, a few months ago when, when, when guys and, and gals, um, particularly kind of the alphas, uh, a type personalities of the special operations community, um, are part of the intelligence community there's there's this kind of sexy idea that you're, you're literally doing things that most people don't know about you're doing things that um, history will be written about you know some 20 30 40 how many ever years and so um, it was that kind of allure that um, I see and, and find connections in, in, in the entrepreneurial kind of mentality and approach and so um, at first I just did it you know because I thought it was needed and then I realized that okay this is kind of neat and it's fun and exciting it's different um, it a little, it's a little straining on the family at times, even when I'm home because of the pandemic, you know, working from the basement. Um, but my wife is just, I'm absolutely thankful that she's massively supportive of, of the, of the ventures and realizes and sees that there's some, there's some pretty good potential on the, on the, on the backside here. Um, and I just, again, um, a little bit of stubbornness, a little bit of just not going to quit a little bit of just continue moving forward. And, and, uh, and so far, the wheel's slowly starting to turn, and we're seeing some significant progress. And, um, 
it's just, um, it, it's exciting. I got to tell you, Scott, it's amazing and exciting. And, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to what the future may hold here. Well, I am for you. I mean, th it is exciting. All right. So let's, let's just, I want to make sure everyone understands because you, as your business has grown, you're kind of getting some new areas as well. So, so just lay out, how can, how are you helping individuals and organizations at JDOG Athens right now? From the hiring point of view, from the labor perspective, um, we do everything we can to plug into the to the veteran community as they're transitioning out of uniform. Again, I lived it. I understand it. I know what it's about. I know how difficult it can be. Um, you know, even taking all the right steps in terms of networking, in terms of education, in terms of um, grooming, you know, the network, uh, it was difficult. So uh, my, my vision here, really the JDOG brand vision, um, is how do we help uh, veterans find a place that they can kind of plug into, Maybe if they want to start a career with us, um, if they want to just use us as a transitional step while they go to school, what have you, that's what the brand is, is, is kind of holistically and fundamentally about from the labor perspective. From a um, work point of view, we uh, junk hauling. Um, so if uh, you got that old couch, you got that old refrigerator um, that's laying around, or if you literally have a barn that's a 5,000 square foot barn, you need to clean out. That's, um, that's something that we certainly can handle. And on the other side of the spectrum to the right, if you have a a modular home that's in your backyard that was there for 100 years, so to speak. Uh, when you bought the property, you need it torn down. We certainly do that as well. So uh, kind of the full array and, and opportunity of, um, of just cleanup and to make, um, you know, it's kind of, there's, there's an exciting part about the idea that you can look up after the work has been done in your backyard or stuff's been cleaned up to know that that's no longer bothering you, right? We're always busy. We're we're full of a, of, an, of, a, of a day that we've kind of planned about us and, when J-Dog Athens can come in there and help you clean out the garage, clean out the closet, clean out the basement, um, it's kind of a, a neat thing to know that people can sit back and just take a breath and say, that's no longer on the back of my mind, bother me. Um, I can continue enjoying my life. That, that's a cool, rewarding thing. Congrats on all of your growth thus far with the, the organization. Uh, best of luck as you move into this next expansion business expansion phase and uh, we're going to have you back on and kind of give us an update uh, but it is really exciting all right so let's make sure folks know how to um, get into or, or connect with you and how they can learn more about uh, Equifax and JDOG Athens so you can always find me on LinkedIn uh, Grady Brain um, you can find us uh, from the JDOG perspective um, uh, JDOG.com uh, JDOGAthens.com um, and, uh, you know, between, you know, those, those three kind of platforms, if you will, happy to help the veteran community from the Equifax perspective on finding their, their gig, if there's an opportunity there. And then with my network, um, to the J dog, uh, brand, um, that my father and my other business partner, Jason run, um, we're always looking for the good person to hire as well. So either one of those three approaches, they can certainly find us. Outstanding. All right. I'm going to ask you one more question, one more bonus question. Uh, and, I'm hoping that your answer may be a little different than what you've shared. I've got a, I've got a, a feeling it might be something similar. But so you've given kind of advice to um, to veterans and to veterans in transition. Now give some advice to entrepreneurs. You know what what's one thing that really sticks out that's put you in position, or what's one thing you would what one piece of advice be? It's got to be massive stubbornness, uh, staying focused on that goal. It's got to be um, knowing that uh, when when to surround yourself with, uh, hmm, I've tried this 14 times, maybe the 15th time will work, or maybe I need to make a slight adjustment. And it really is just um, having the tenacity to know that you have a mission in front of you, that you need to continue 
um, moving forward, but it's not always through the mountain, over, under, around. Uh, if you have to dig a, a trench under the mountain, are you prepared to do that? Um, do you have the climbing gear to climb over? Or maybe you could just take a road that's uh, already paved um, to the right, to the left side of you uh, to move uh, around the mountain. So it's just being cognizant and aware of your surroundings, knowing that maybe the easiest road isn't always the best, but um, if you don't have climbing gear or digging gear, then maybe the easiest road is, is the best uh, to move forward. Love it. Grady Brain, you did not disappoint. This is this interview was was in conversation really was what I thought it would be. Uh, it's a pleasure to reconnect with you, even if it is digitally. Uh, hopefully next time we meet, it'll be in person uh, over an adult beverage or coffee or something. But uh, really admire uh, your journey and admire your willingness to um, make an impact on other folks as they go through a similar journey, especially our fellow veterans. And just real proud of what you're up to. I can't wait to, to see what is next, uh, both in your role at Equifax, but also as an entrepreneur, what gets my juices going is uh, J-Dog Athens. So, uh, and, and to our audience, we're going to make sure we put everybody's, um, all, all of uh, ways you can connect with Grady in the show notes and make it really easy. So Grady Brain with Equifax and J-Dog Athens, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, sir. Much appreciated. Always a pleasure. All right. So to our audience, hopefully you've enjoyed that as much as we did. Yeah, something tells me we only got just a tip of the iceberg uh, with Grady. We're going to have to have uh, a second episode, including getting the skinny on some of those contractor roles that we couldn't get to here today. But hopefully you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have on behalf of the entire Veteran Voices team and, of course, Supply Chain Now family of programming. Uh, Scott Luton, hey, it challenging you just like we challenge ourselves. Do good. Give forward. Be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time here on Veteran Voices. Thanks, everybody.